morning, everybody. Um, when uh, we picked this summer, what we got to do, which chapter, I thought, oh, I want this one because Jesus is so evident in this chapter, I, in this piece. This is probably the biggest, in my thinking, the biggest, the biggest revelation of Christ um, that there is uh, in the Old Testament, is this covenant with Abraham. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, the story of the covenant. Uh, in our, in our small group, we, we ended up talking about suffering. And so I just kind of wanted to start there a little bit um, about inordinate suffering and how almost every one of us has uh, been faced with a person who says, how can God be good if there's so much suffering? How can God be good if I was in the Iraqi war and you wouldn't believe the things that I saw? How can God be good? If I miscarry time after time after time, how can God be good? How can God be good? And I think today's the answer for that. There's so much suffering, there's, uh, and the older I get, the more I know that that's true. One suffering is worse than the next, and it quantifies until it builds up to this crescendo of overwhelming darkness that's amidst us. And the only, the only answer to that is God walking through walking through the split animals and Jesus dying on the cross is the only thing that's big enough to take care of the generational, the generational sin that's passed off from grandfather to father to child, the suffering there. So um, that's why I look forward to this. It's a practical thing. Um, and, I, and I hate the phrase, uh, it could have been worse. I hate that phrase because it minimizes uh, minimize the suffering, but it could have been worse. And what could be worse is eternal separation from God. And if we're going to compare, then that's the thing to compare. We could have been separated from God forever. And, uh, and so that's been taken care of. So you're not going to make me sing. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'm just going to, we're going to start there. So story of the covenant. This is our first, we started off at the beginning of the semester with this, with Jesus walking uh, with two men on the road to Emmaus. Uh, I kind of laughed. I thought, well, they didn't recognize Jesus, but if he would have been dressed like this, I think they might have. <laughs> so I, I, think, <laughs> I think, I don't know. But anyway, that's the idea. I'm sure that the scrub oak and everything else is the same, just like it is here in Low Desert. So they're walking to Emmaus. And they're talking, you know, they're talking about many things. Uh, and I think uh, in Luke 24, it says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and in all the scriptures. And I think, even though this is in Hebrews, I think in general, one of the things that he probably said over and over and over again is, look away from all these distractions, from you wanting Rome to... Uh, be taken care of by Jesus the King and your disappointments there. Look away from that. Look away from all the things that are distracting you right now and focus your eyes on Jesus. And interestingly, this is what Paul says in Hebrews 2, Jesus is the author, he's the beginning, he's the creator, and he's also a finisher. Look at the big timeline, look at when he started, and look at. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how it's going to finish. It's a story. It's a story about how how um, from the beginning to the end, in this one verse, he says, Jesus is the focus, and he's the author, and he's the finisher. 
So I'm, I'm quite sure that that was the, the context that he was speaking in. And in every story, every story it goes like this. You know, I, I wish I would have been an English teacher. I'm, I'm a nurse, but I love English. I love grammar. I love all that. So this is how a story goes. You start with a story, and the, and the characters are described, and you're introduced to the story people, like Moses and Noah and everybody. And then you get to a climax, the peak, the peak of the story. And then it kind of falls off, and then there's kind of the mopping up and the resolution of the story. And that's the same as the story that we have in Scripture that we know, our story, of the beginning when there's creation, we'll start there, and then we finish in Revelation, the resolution at the end. And, and so the peak, the climax in our story of Jesus Christ, and it is our story also, is when Jesus paid for all the sin and died on the cross. And in essence, that's what we're talking about today, is this Abrahamic covenant. If I would put myself on this timeline... I would be, we would be, in the resolution. Because the best thing about this whole story has already happened. I mean, the peak. And I thought, well, maybe it's being in heaven would be when I finish, when we're all home, that's, that's the climax. But it's not. We couldn't have been there without the climax, without Jesus dying and paying for our sin and rising from the dead. And here's a story, a story that we love. I, you know, this is a story has the same thing, has a beginning and an ending, and there's a climax when Belle, which I love this, I love this little movie and the play that goes with it, the musical, when they say, you know, she didn't, no more did she shudder at his paw. When she looked at him, she didn't shudder anymore. And that was the climax of that story. And so we're going to talk about the climax of our story today. So the conflict and the problem, the climax, was we had a little spoiler alert, a little sneak preview in, in uh, Genesis 3.15, where they talked, you know, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but it says there that I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between you and Satan, and between uh, the lineage of Christ and of Christ's seed. And Jesus will bruise Satan on the head, which is fatal, uh, and that Satan will bruise Jesus on the heel, which is not. He'll cause Jesus suffering, but it's not fatal, and it's not a done deal. So this is Genesis 3.15, just a spoiler alert already in the story, way at the beginning, hinting, we call it a prophecy, but, but already telling about the main thing, about the main thing, when Jesus is going to put his foot on the serpent's head. And we start to talk about then a covenant and, and what this covenant is, this one, this first one, uh, when, when Jesus is putting his foot on, on uh, Satan's head was called the Adamic, Adam, Adam, Ick uh, covenant. And even in that first covenant, it describes God's relationship to us. He's going to take care of the biggest threat to us. And he starts to tell us about that. Here's all the covenants. Um, I think after this week, I really want to spend more time in the covenants because they describe our relationship with God. It's the crux of all of our faith. And when I start getting shaky or afraid, I want to look at these covenants. And so we've already talked about Eden, and we've talked about, um, it is a little hard to see that, uh, Adam. And we've talked about Noah, and now we're talking about the Adam's, uh, Abrahamic covenant. And so th these are the ones, and we're living in the new covenant, the red one up there. And so all of these have commonalities. 
So we have um, in, in all of these covenants, including the one today, and this is why I love, I love looking at this, is that we're invited into relationship with God. Uh, that's the case with Moses. That's the case with Abraham. That's the case with Adam and Eve. We're invited into relationship with God and true of our covenant today. And the characteristic of it is that we're first a ruined sinner. Noah, good example of that. Everybody sinned. And then everybody is restored. Not everybody, but there's restoration. There's one mediation, one mediator. And Jesus, in every one of these covenants, which just makes my skin, you know, bump up, is that Jesus is the Messiah in the old and the new. There's one mediator of that covenant, just one. And God brings us to faith and keeps us in faith. That's really big with this one, with the Abrahamic covenant, very evident. That's a unilateral covenant. And then the last one, the Trinity, which we really have to step back and look, but the Trinity is revealed in every covenant. Their unity, their love, their mercy, you know, their utter faithfulness to us, their concentration, their advocacy for us, it's all in every single covenant. And every covenant, Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of every single covenant. And what's nice about that, I think this is amazing, an amazing verse. If I just carry this around in my pocket, <laughs> my covenant I will not break, will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. God's not slow about his promises, as some count slowness. Will not break. Nice guarantee, wonderful surety. So let's talk specifically then about this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. What was the blessing that God offered Abraham? He said, you'll be a father of nations. And that's demonstrated by the stars in the heavens, that your descendants will be more numerous than the stars. And when I went camping last weekend, I looked up, and you know how beautiful it is. And I thought, those are your descendants, Abraham. And then I thought, and the descendants of Abraham are all the people who believe in Christ. And all the people who believe in Christ are going to be in heaven. And I'm going to be with that many people. And I looked at the, oh my gosh, how am I going to get to know all these people? I, uh, and it was just beautiful. I thought, really, you're saving this many people? You're, you're, these are who's going to be ruling and reigning with you for eternity? That's exciting. I thought that was nice. And then as it was clarified in the New Testament too, Paul had a little bickering match with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and he said, you know, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's descendants. You're, it's not a birth order necessarily. You're biologically related to Abraham. The way that you belong to Christ is that your heirs according to this promise. This promise. To Abraham, they gave the promised land. And that'll play out in future lessons we're going to have. We'll spend more time there. And then your name will be great. Your name will be great because Jesus is going to be in your lineage. Can you imagine how much fun Abraham had seeing all this unfold in heaven? I think he must have had a blast. 
So you think, okay, look at the time span. I always think, I know it's long, but I like to look at it for some reason. In this covenant, you know, God said, I'll make you a great nation. That was Abraham, 75 years old. God said to Abraham, your reward will be very great. Okay, he's 86. <laughs> you know, and Isaac isn't born until, you know, until Abraham's 100 years old. So we'll just overlay that God's not slow about his promises, but sometimes it looks that way, huh? <laughs> yeah. And Abraham, who can't identify with this, Abraham doubted in God's goodness. He doubted his promises. There was nothing to show for it. And how easy it is for us to flip over to God is restrictive. God is stingy. He allows these awful things to happen. He doesn't want my joy. But I think that's because we don't look at the long story and the timeline. One of the things, too, about the covenant that I think is important is that it was unilateral. I don't know if you came across that word or not in your study. And unilateral means that it's one way. It's God coming down to us. He's the one that guaranteed it. Uh, Abraham had a response of circumcision, you know, but that was a response. I would say it's like this. If you had a present, God gives the gift, and I open it. But I had nothing to do with the purchase of it. I had nothing to do, you know, with the wrapping of it or how it unfolded in any way. All I have to do is open it up. And so when I get caught in this scramble, what does God do, what do I do? I just have to open it up. I just have to receive it. So, and then here's a verse that really went, went with our lesson today, that uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. As God walked through at the ceremony of the covenant, as God walked through, that was Jesus saving us and saying, I will keep this covenant no matter what. And the way, the way I think of it is, um, that I've said before too, is that if I were playing baseball and I'm a terrible athlete, I'm just awful, so I don't know why I come up with these, but I think of baseball, God will never leave me on first base. He'll never leave me on second base. He'll never leave me on third base. He promises me a home run. And that's his covenant. It's an eternal, everlasting covenant because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, through just opening up the gift. And that Jesus said, I would rather, the Trinity said, the Father, the Son, the Spirit said, I would rather have the worst thing happen to me. That's the nature of a covenant back then as they would walk through those things. May it happen to me that I would be dead like these animals if this promise fails. I would stand in the way. And we all probably have a person that we would stand in the way if the bus was coming and hit, you know, probably children or someone you love so dearly that you wouldn't even think twice about jumping in front of a bus and sparing your loved one. And that's the word that Jesus, the sentiment, the promise, the guarantee that Jesus gave, I would rather have the worst thing happen to me, which would be death, excruciating death in this case for Jesus, than for this promise, which is the salvation by faith to fail. 
you know, this is one of my pictures. I like looking at pictures and just looking at them for a while. And this is a person receiving. It's just receiving. This is a unilateral covenant. Only me just taking it in. The beauty of it, how profound it is, how thorough, that no matter what the suffering is right now, God promises to bring me home. And that's not a small promise. It's not a small promise. I remember a friend of mine who was having a particularly hard time. Um, she got robbed in front of a bank teller uh, at ATM by gunpoint holding her toddler. Uh, that week, somebody jumped in front of her husband's car trying to commit suicide. Driving on the It was just one thing after another after another. And she said to me, I, I know that God protects us, but I don't know from what. And I said, well, she goes, I think it's just, she said, I think it's, uh, I can't remember what her answer was. And I said, I can't, I, I said, you can't, either he protects or he doesn't. I said, so that took me on a year long journey of, of asking, what do you protect us from, you know, if we're suffering? And I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and it's the baseball illustration. He protects me from incompleteness. He protects me from not being able to finish. He protects me. He keeps me until eternity. He keeps me forever. He, nothing will get in the way of me being with him for eternity in heaven. And I thought, is that a big deal to me or not? And I thought, I guess it is. I guess it is, and it changed my perspective from the here and now to eternity, and I think that's the story of this covenant, is that it's a guarantee that even though there'll be difficulties on the way uh, and hardships and very hard things, there's a home that's been prepared for me, and I have a place to go, and I'll never be homeless, and I'll never be alone, ever, ever. I think being alone is our worst fear. And the more I think about that, the more I think it's true. And that's why Jesus said, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. So we're going to have a little movie about the ceremony of the covenant. Uh, it's about five minutes long. It's very good. So I didn't really talk about it a whole lot because here we go. In those days, the way you took an oath was not by signing. How would it be? What would that mean? Here's what you would do. If you would take an animal, you would slay it, you would cut it, put it down on the ground, and you would walk between the pieces, and this is what you were saying. You're saying, if I do not do everything that I am promising now, may I be cut off, may I be destroyed, May, may my flesh lay on the ground to feed the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's what you're doing. A fairly effective way, don't you think? A lot better than signing, huh? You see, vivid, but when you did it, you were bound. You acted out the curse. Now, when Abraham was told, bring me all these pieces, he immediately knew what was going on. This was a covenant ratification ceremony. This was the making of a contract. He knew right away, and he figured. What did he figure? Well, he didn't figure what actually happened. 
No one on the face of the earth figured what actually happened. Here's what happened. First, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot and a blazing torch appeared. And it's the same words used to describe the top of Mount Sinai when God came down on it years later. And the same words that were also used to describe the pillar of God's presence. It was the presence of God. But it wasn't just the presence of God that astonished Abram. But what it did, look, verse 17, it passed between the pieces. It went down the aisle made by the pieces. And here's the reason this was so strange. This was so incredible. This is the gospel. This is the whole gospel. There is, there is no place in the New Testament that gets as thoroughgoing as this. And it's absolutely astonishing that what God does is he appears and he passes between these pieces. Do you now know what he's saying? You know what he's saying to Abraham? You know what he's saying to you? He is saying, I have promised to bless you, Abraham. I have promised to be your God and to bring salvation to the world. I promise to bless you. And if I don't do what I say, may my immutability experience mutation. May my immortality suffer mortality. May my infinity suffer limitation infinitude. May my power suffer powerlessness. May the impossible become possible. May I be cut off. May I be destroyed. May my body be ripped to pieces. God saying this. Now, if you think that's amazing, it is, but that's not all. God walked through the pieces alone. He did not say, Abraham, now you do it. Now, let me tell you, this is absolutely, absolutely unique and stunning because we know this from history and archaeology, that whenever a king would enter into a covenant relationship with a, a vassal, a lesser king, or a conquered king, or a servant, whenever a king would enter into a covenant relationship with a, with a servant, either both the king and the servant would go through the pieces, or just the servant would go through. But when the king goes through by himself, this is what God is saying. God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to go through for both of us. This is the gospel. The gospel is salvation in the Christian faith is not a cooperative effort. It is not God helps those who help themselves. It is not a partnership. God comes through and says, I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us. Abraham, may I be cut off if I don't do my part of the bargain. But Abraham, may I be cut off if you don't do yours. Abraham, I will bless you, even if it means, and it did, that I would have to die. Don't you realize that centuries later, darkness came down again? You read about it in Mark chapter 15, verse 33, where it says, And at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land, and the ninth hour, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isaiah 53 verse 8 says something that Abraham didn't know. Abraham had no idea what it was going to cost God to make the promise he did. But Isaiah says about the Messiah, he was cut off from the land of the living 
For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. His immortality did become mortality. His immutability did suffer mutation. The impossible became possible. God was cut off. God was trampled into the dust. The darkness came down on him. I'm just going to take a couple minutes um, after that. Um, I'm just going to put some scripture verses up here. And we'll just be quiet and look at them. And then I'll close this in prayer. And this is our response to what he's done for us. For what he continues to do. That he hedges off all things that would endanger our eternal life with him. Every single thing that would jeopardize my life with him. For eternity, he's that jealous of a God. To the degree that he gave his life. Um, and if he's done that much for me, then, then how can I can be, can be um, convinced otherwise? So here's my response. I open the gift. What do I do back? Not effort, not good deeds, not, you know, any of that, trying, striving. But what's on the platter? What do I offer up? I offer thanksgiving. Offer thanksgiving. And then the rest of my life flows out. Jesus, take me back here. Take me back here to be with you and know with confidence that you keep me. You keep me in the storm when it looks like I'm going to drown and I'm going to get tossed overboard and my very life is in danger, whether it is or whether it's perceived. And you go, that's okay. I'm with you. And the fact that I'm with you is more important than any of the suffering that you encounter. I'm with you. And you never have to be afraid of the ultimate thing of being alone. I'll keep you. I'll take you from first base. I'll take you to second. I'll take you to third. And nobody's going to tag you out. I guarantee you a home run. Well, for a person that's not good at baseball, that's a pretty nice guarantee. I thank you, Jesus, for finishing, being the finisher of faith. And that I'd look there often and I'd have confidence there and consolation there. And I keep saying it won't be long. It won't be long until we're all done. And Abraham saw that day. Thank you for all my sisters that are here, that are walking this journey with me and um, in particular I thank you for Marsha, Marsha Kuyper, and for her leadership and how she promotes unity and how she gives to us in phenomenal ways that we don't even see. But just the kindness, the soft touch that she gives today on her birthday. And Jesus, I just, um, 
thank you. Thank you for her. So we just want to honor her today on her birthday and sing her happy birthday. <laughs> 